Now, it was during the tobacco ban that we saw the rapid emergence of an emboldened illegal sector. Organized criminal networks came into play, selling illicit products at inflated prices, robbing the national fiscus of much-needed revenue. To this day, illegal cigarette trade continues to cost South Africa hundreds of jobs and billions of rands in revenue. And just ahead of the 2023 budget speech, it's only fitting that we unpack the kind of damage this has inflicted on the economy. And I guess uh, to answer the big question, which is, can illicit trade of tobacco be stopped? Sinentlan Kamguni, chair of the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, and Johan van Lochrenberg, former SARS exec and author of Tobacco Wars, join us now for that. Um, we're going to get to, because there's a point there on that intro that illegal cigarette trade robbed the fiscus of much needed revenue. I wonder if that's just not all government. But before we get to that, uh, thank you very much, Sinentlantla and Johan. Uh, starting with you, Sinentlantla, who joins us in a studio. Uh, I was actually talking to some people before this conversation <coughs> on what comes to their heads when they think of illicit or illegal cigarette trade. And a lot of it is uh, people picture uh, smuggling of cigarettes into the country that is then sold in street corners. But there's more to that, isn't there? I mean, what mechanisms do we need to consider when we actually talk about illicit cigarette trade? Look, it's quite a complex issue, and I'm, I'm glad that we have Johan on the show because he deals with it quite extensively in his book, Tobacco Wars. It's also covered in another book called Dirty Tobacco. It, uh, it, it, it takes form in, in a number of different uh, shapes. Um, I mean, of course, you alluded to smuggling of cigarettes through our various border posts, which have become quite uh, porous, and of course, we know that there seems to be some sort of compliance um, or, uh, from, from law enforcement agencies, uh, complicity rather, um, aiding these criminal syndicates to smuggle cigarettes through our various border posts. But in addition to that, you have, of course, what you call um, round tripping, where the cigarettes leave the, the borders of, of, of South Africa under the guise of being exported out, but then find their way back. And of course, th they become cheaper by virtue of not having paid the requisite taxes in South Africa. You have that. You also have what you call under declaration uh, by, by a manufacturer. For instance, they'll, they'll declare 100 uh, boxes of cigarettes manufactured, when in actual fact they've manufactured 300. Yeah. Um, you, you also have uh, what you call ghost exports, which again is, is, is similar to round tripping, where, of course, the letter has been for export, but they never go out. Quite a lot of terminology there. Round tripping. Ghost exports. Mm. And then you also have counterfeits, of course. Which yes. Is, which is quite uh, self-explanatory, I think. Yes. I think it's easy to understand. So there's quite a lot of forms, and it's really quite difficult to look at a pack of cigarettes uh, with the naked eye and tell whether it's illicit or not. And that's the challenge that yes. we've seemed to have found in, in, uh, in both the, the capacity of law enforcement to understand what actually constitutes an illicit cigarette product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, just coming to you, Johan, I mean, what would be the easiest way for the consumer? Firstly, are consumers aware of the difference between uh, illicit cigarettes and legal cigarettes? And what's the easiest way to spot them? Um, no, I doubt it. I doubt whether the, the average consumer cares. I think the average consumer goes to a store or a shop or wherever they buy their pack of cigarettes um, and they assume that what they're buying is the product that they want and they pay the best price possible for it. Uh, obvi obviously, 
you know, times are tough economically and people um, hunt for bargains or they look for the cheapest um, item that they can buy of a certain product. So there's no real way in which one can look at a pack of cigarettes um, at face value and conclude is something wrong with it or not. Mm. Um, That's I, the short answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I completely hear you, Johan. And I mean, you talk about a cash-strapped consumer. Every single company that's coming out with updates uh, on their numbers right now are talking about a constrained consumer with the high inflation that we're seeing uh, and also high interest rates. So you even have companies really trying to limit the selling price inflation that they pass on to the consumer to keep their margins and to keep the consumer coming back. So I get, of course, why uh, consumers would be attracted by the lower price point. I just want to go back before 2020. I think we need to make 2020 the division here. The divider exactly what was illicit cigarette trading looking like before 2020 look i mean before 2020 it's actually quite uh poetic in a way that you our reference point is 2020 because just before that we had the nugen commission which looked at the affairs of the south african revenue service and i mean even at that point it was highlighted that the illicit trade in cigarettes um had grown quite exponentially particularly post 2014 with, with the reactions that happened at the South African Revenue Service and the hollowing out of the capacity of the Revenue Service. So it, it was already an issue. And I think it just grew exponentially post the, the lockdown period and the ban on the sale of cigarettes. So yeah. it, it's, it's not a new phenomenon. It, it's something that we, we had raised uh, our concerns on as industry even prior to the, the ban on the sale of cigarettes. It's just that, unfortunately, the, the ban became a catalyst for, for a, a, a yeah. newer entrant or a new, new uh, form of players in the illicit trade in cigarettes. Yeah. Johan, how chaotic then did things get after 2020? Well, I think one must go back a little bit further in time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say um, around 2010, 2011, the portion of the uh, total market of cigarettes available in South Africa was somewhere around 15 to 20%, which at the time was considered unacceptable and the South African Revenue Service then initiated a, a, a big and, and dedicated project into addressing that. By the end of 2013, the revenue take on excise for cigarette manufacturing had increased by around 25%. So that's about a quarter of the annual take that went up, which was indicative that um, the, the illicit portion of the market had begun to decrease. Um, but we also know, as uh, Mr. Mguni has said now, um, from stats um, emanating from the Nugent Commission, that between the years 2015-16 to 2018, um, as a result of the capture of the revenue service and the, um, that particular project coming to an absolute standstill, it went completely haywire. There was a period um, subsequent to 2018 where the figures did drop. I know that UCT did some research and they did pick up that um, after, um, you know, the people had left that were implicated in state capture there and the new people had taken over, that there wasn't a a sort of visible increase in in enforcement and then a reduction in in the illicit trade. But I I agree with Ms. Mguni that, um, the lockdown and the ban of cigarettes introduced a whole set of new dynamics, so much so that I think if you want to look at it from an enforcement perspective, 
it would be um, it would be too limiting to only look locally. I think we attracted um, all sorts of networks and syndicates and opportunists mm. in that period of lockdown. Uh, and they established new routes and new channels and new markets. And, and they are now um, part of the competition. Yeah. So I can tell you, people are bringing in cigarettes from Zimbabwe, from Botswana, from Mozambique and elsewhere, even the East, on um, scales uh, you can't imagine um, that we haven't really seen before. I know in this week there's been a massive bust of a, a gas tanker. Um, that was that was converted to smuggle cigarettes, and the amount of master cases there is, is huge. And if that's the sort of thing that's coming in on a daily basis, well, you know, so I think it's it's you know it's human to want to simplify a problem and then jump to a conclusion, but I think there are multiple factors that have contributed to uh, pressures on the cigarette manufacturers, and they are not limited to the cigarette manufacturers, by the way. I think it's the entire manufacturing environment in South Africa, mm. and it includes load shedding, and it includes the, the other economic pressures that we're under. So, so I think it's, you know, it's a combination of this, and that, of course, creates an environment that's ripe for opportunists, and that's why you see that what you see now, yeah. I think. Um, isn't it like, have we lost the opportunity since things just got worse from 2020 has the government um lost an easier opportunity of an entry point into the value chain that has been strengthened from 2020 in illicit cigarette trade I, I, I definitely think so. And, and the challenge is that, of course, there are many problems that the country faces. So yeah. to, to focus uh, solely on the illicit trade in cigarettes perhaps would be, be quite a stretch for our government when, when they're faced with so many other challenges um, in many other mm -hmm. sectors. And, I mean, why, why would they then prioritize this particular industry? But, I mean, jobs. Jobs are being of lost. Of course, of yeah. course. But, it, I mean, if you look at it, uh, and this is a discussion that I've had with many uh, role players in the tobacco industry if you look at the contribution of this particular industry uh -huh. it pales in comparison to other industries okay. um, but but uh, having said that it doesn't mean that government of course cannot you know deal with certain issues that affect the industry particularly when it impacts jobs and the economy and obviously contributions to our fiscus and the revenue that could be generated by our country and yeah. i think there there are certain measures that could have been implemented that could have avoided a lot of um, what's subsequently transpired and, and, and the, lot, the, the odds that have been lost by government in trying to contain the illicit trade. I, mean, mm. I, I think th th there's been enough information out there which government could have had a regard to and I mean all the various law enforcement agencies in addition to that but there just seems to be some sort of a struggle from that side or a ra rather a, a lack of desire mm. to, to implement certain mechanisms which could have perhaps placed us in a better place than where we are now. Yeah. Listen, I know that SARS has beefed up uh, its operations and also running after people and uh, companies in order to make sure that they uh, are in the right position in terms of their tax payments. Uh, very, very committed there to collecting tax from individuals. I'm sure people look at their pay slips. <laughs> and yeah, but, but, but it, it's, is SARS doing enough though, Johan, in terms of inserting itself into that supply chain when it comes to, for example, local manufacturers of cigarettes that are under declaring their production? 
Uh, oh, it's a loaded question. Let, let me put it this way. I think we must not live um, under any illusions. Um, the fact of the matter is that um, we're a developing state, which means that our government's not perfect, and it's not operating at optimal level. It's certainly not operating as a system. In many cases, our departments are operating in silos. Um, we've never had um, you know, an optimum government. Uh, then came the state capture years that really, really harmed our criminal justice system and our enforcement capacity. And it will take more than one lifetime to repair that damage, as far as I'm concerned. I do see anecdotal evidence of people trying in government. Mm. I do know um, that the Revenue Service has prioritized the cigarette uh, manufacturing industry um, from an enforcement perspective, and there is public evidence of that. And they have hit at the heart of some of these, um, these channels. Um, but uh, again, I say we must be realistic. Um, we, we mustn't expect um, too many miracles or, or perfection. I think um, for some time to come, we're going to have to live with uh, uh, imperfection and, and hit and misses. Can they do more? Yes, I do think so. I think um, you know one can always do more if you work smarter, but that would I think require a longer discussion. You know, perhaps we don't have the time for that right mm. now. But it's really about how do you leverage off different de government departments and making use of the the sort of um, you know best that you have at your disposal. Um, but I don't think we should underestimate the state of our criminal justice system. It's it's not in a good state. And um, that doesn't mean people are not trying to repair it, but it's going to take time. Yeah. Stentland, of course, the problem is from beginning to end, from manufacturing to the sale. And there's actually quite a significant portion of shops that actually do sell these uh, illicit cigarettes. What has been done there? Okay, it's, it's again goes back to what um, Johan just touched on. It's quite quite challenging in, in as far as our law enforcement capacity where I've seen from first-hand experience that th there's a lack of understanding about how to tackle this particular scourge because of course just as much as a, a packet of cigarettes may be selling below what you consider the minimum collectible taxes doesn't necessarily render that cigarette illicit. Just the same way if it sells for quadruple uh. what is considered the minimum collectible tax doesn't necessarily make it a, a legitimate cigarette. You've so made things complicated It's, it's, it's quite complicated. <laughs> yes. and, and, and I think that's what uh, Johan was trying to allude to very uh, early on to mm. say that sometimes we look for simple solutions yes. to, to issues and sometimes they just do not exist. And it requires a broader understanding. And I think that we need to, uh, and unfortunately, like, like we touched on early on, mm. it, it, it's, it's, it's a thing that needs to be constantly evolving for us to, you know, beefing up our law enforcement agencies and our um, criminal justice mm. capacity. So we, we, we're trying to really contain this issue now where we don't currently have the capacity to do just that. I mean, now it requires quite a lot of understanding and it's, it's not something that you can just understand overnight. And people are basically looking for a pack of cigarettes that has a marking that can distinguish between a legitimate and illegitimate cigarettes. And unfortunately that doesn't necessarily exist. As your organization sticking with you, Sinatlanta, what kind of ongoing conversations are you having with government? 
Look, we, we try engage as, as much as we can. Of course, th th there's certain restrictions and, and, and sometimes obstacles that, that are placed before us, such as the World Health Organization's Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, which, which really sort of puts uh, restrictions on government engaging with the tobacco industry in particular with regards to issues of, of policy. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that's why government has been quite reluctant, and in particular the Department of Health, mm -hmm. um, in engaging with, with the tobacco industry on issues which affect industry. I mean, I recall as far back as, I think, 2017 or 2018, actually, when uh, South Africa hosted a, a, a World Health Organization tobacco conference where mm -hmm. Minister Mutsualedi, who was Minister of Health at the time, um, stated emphatically that he hated the tobacco industry and he did not wish to engage with the industry as they have not contributed anything positive mm. um, to the world at large. So it, it, you, you, you have those challenges where really we, we only have platforms such as these and, and um, mm. a platform such as the SARS Tobacco Industry Forum to engage with the state, but there, there aren't many, and, and we just hope that through, through uh, platforms such as these, we are heard by government and we are able to, of course, come across and get them to, to, to take our, con our concerns into consideration. Yeah, and there's really a balancing act there that needs to be achieved. Uh, just lastly, on your side, Johan, I mean, how much does the government consider or should consider illicit uh, cigarette trade when making decisions in the budget about syntaxes? I think that's a given. I think it's a world trend that um, syntaxes, um, you know, are not only um, increased um, simply because uh, government wishes to collect more revenue. It's actually um, an indirect disincentivization because you want people to not smoke cigarettes. Um, you know, the flip side of the revenue take of excise on cigarettes is, of course, the cost to government on ailments and, and death and sickness uh, resulting from smoking. And the numbers there are, are horrific. It's somewhere around three trillion rand. Um, uh, you know, that's, that was the last estimation that I've seen, and that was a couple of years ago. So it's costing government a lot more to help people in the, on the medical side of things than, than the benefit that they gain in revenue. But it does affect their cash flow. I, I should just say as a last thought, perhaps, mm. that, you know, we, we, so we're a hair's breath away from recession. When, when a developing state is in, um, uh, you know, that sort of position where we under severe economic strain, there's a direct correlation with an increase in crime across the board. And so it should also manifest in the cigarette manufacturing industry as it will anywhere else in, in, in society. Hmm. Um, and that's a reality. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's quite interesting to see those trends. You're right. Um, we really are in an economy under the backdrop of a slowing economy. And of course, all the hardships are permeating through to every single industry. But thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time and just giving us more insight into uh, that uh, part of the sector. Uh, thank you very much to my guest, Nedlan Lamguni, Chair of the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, and Johan van Lochrenberg, former SARS exec and author of Tobacco Wars.